Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast, where we take an insider's look into the training and racing of some of America's best runners as they prepare for the Olympic Trials in 2020. We are one week out. Can you believe it? One week out. So in this episode, this was a kind of a spur of the moment episode that I did with Parker Stinson. Why is that? Well, unfortunately, as you're about to hear, Parker has just announced that he is not going to be able to run the Olympic trials, a huge blow for somebody who has just dedicated himself to running for so many years and has put so much time and effort into this. And unlike so many times where people have had to pull out from races, you may have experienced this in your life. This this episode is a little strange because there isn't this well-defined cause and effect with his injury, and you'll hear all about that. So that's the first half of the episode. We talk about the recent developments around his injury and how he and his coach, Dathan Ritzenheim, have you know tried different ways to combat that injury. In the second half of the episode, we're going to touch on a preview of the Olympic trials. So last week we did a preview with Allison Wade and Aaron Strout. That was really well received, and thank you so much for listening to that. I was excited to have Parker do a preview because he knows so many of the runners in the field. And it's just a very different perspective than the one we took with the women's race. Equally valid, but just a different way of looking at things. And Parker, as always, was very candid in what he thought. And I was excited to talk to him about it. So I'm sure that you will like that part as well. So thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. And here it is with Parker Stinson. Parker, thanks for hopping on the call. I just saw the uh, the big announcement. First of all, I'm sorry to see that, but if people haven't seen or heard about it, um, how about you share the news here? Yeah, um, I definitely wanted to, I, I was hoping to return to the show um, as more of a conquering hero. Uh, and I know uh, you, you had been bugging me over the last few months. Hey man, can we do a show? Can we do a show? And um, I was kind of like, uh, now's probably not the best time. Um, cause I was kind of fighting through some things and trying and didn't really know what was going to happen. Uh, and, and then, yeah, so, um, we'll not be running the Olympic trials marathon here in a few days or, um, a little less than a week or whatever it is, um, coming up this Saturday and yeah, just really grateful to, um, get to come on the show and kind of tell my story a little bit more and, um, explain everything that's been going on with me in the last few months to, to everyone who supports me. Cause it's just been, I've definitely felt like a bit alone. Um, and it's just been like really hard to deal with just with, uh, the hype and excitement around the Olympic trials. It's been really hard to kind of like keep everything close to the chest and just try to do my best. So excited to get to share, um, share my story. Yeah. So again, I'm sorry that, that it's come to this. Obviously, it's not what anybody wants. Um, that's for sure. But with all that being said, let, let's go back um, to the beginning of this, basically the beginning of this part of the process for you. Obviously, you, you know, people who've listened to this and who have followed, you know, that Chicago went exceedingly well, not only for you, but for, you know, a dozen other runners, uh, a, dozen, a dozen other American runners who did very, very well. It was a historic day for American marathoning. You were a big part of it. We talked about it. Things were going well. And I know at that point, you had made it very clear that, you know, for you, that this was you know, a, a great step forward, but you had full expectations to kind of keep that momentum going and were really, really excited for what the future held. So at what point, either before that race or after that race, did you start to notice that physically things weren't where you wanted them to be? Um, yeah, that's what was actually really tough. And it's really tough to deal with right now. Um, I felt really good after that race. Um, I felt actually really confident, even though I lost a few other Americans. Um, I felt like my performance at Chicago was good and it was something I was really proud of, but then I didn't really feel like I had like a super special or amazing day. And I actually, that, that I felt even further about that because the next week, the next few days, whatever, um, I wasn't that like destroyed. And so I thought that was going to be like a really sneaky, um, sneaky way that like I could really perform a lot better at the Olympic trials because I didn't feel like 
um, Chicago like really took that much out of me. Um, but either way, you know, Dathan's really smart and, um, it's still marathon to marathon. So we took good time down and, um, we knew I was in such a good spot and I was so fit. So we weren't really like, we were taking our time on when we were going to strike, like to really get some good fitness. So yeah, um, that was great. And started training again and same thing. It was like, I don't know, maybe like a week or two, I felt a little weird or a little out of shape, but basically I started doing workouts and Dathan would even just, I mean, we would just kind of, he would just kind of laugh on the phone sometimes when I would talk with him. Like I was just so fit and like, not the kind of fit, like, Oh man, I'm crushing everything. This is like awesome. It was more like the kind of fit, like I wasn't even really ready to like emotionally like dive back into training yet. Um, I was kind of waiting for that. I was just kind of going through the motions, but anytime we kind of like did a workout, it just went surprisingly well and, um, wasn't too hard. And so I was just really reaping the rewards of, uh, of all the hard work I had put in the last few years. So yeah, no, it felt good. I mean, I I was actually, what's funny is I was actually feeling probably better overall, um, than I was leading into Chicago. Like that whole cycle was really tough. Um, I was balancing a lot of little injuries the whole time. So yeah, I was doing well. Um, and then, yeah, just, uh, it was like, early January, I had like about a week or so left or like half a week left. And then I was going to go out to Florida with Dathan and uh, all them for two and a half weeks before Houston half. And I was doing really good stuff, but like we were going to really start getting after things in Florida and then Houston half and then then just carry that to the trials. Um, And yeah, I just had some in my right knee. I just had like some medial tightness on the inside. Um, nothing I haven't had before. I've had that actually quite a lot in my career. And I did a few tricks that I know like help it. Um, and a few things that usually, you know, within a day or two, I'm feeling really good. And then I think even when it was tight, I was like, Ooh, you know, that feels kind of tight. I got to do everything right. So I immediately saw someone for it and with, you know, it was even just like, Oh, you know, I don't think it's going to be too bad. It just like needs a little help. And they're like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. So then I went, on for a few days like that and it started getting a lot worse and it actually moved from my medial knee to like above my knee like lat like on like the lateral side and stuff and I kept training through it um and I was like limping quite a bit it would take me about like five miles or so to like start running normal in my runs and I just like blew up one day really bad after like a week of running through it so then I went and got an MRI um right after that. And I went and then a a few more days later, I went and saw a doctor and I got, um, cortisone shots in my knee because I had, um, the MRI showed fat pad impingement and bursitis, but you know, those are all fancy names just for inflammation, things like that. So the doctor and everyone was like, Oh, like this will be no problem at all. Like you're doing really well. You just need to take a little downtime and this cortisone shot will clear things up really well for you. Um, sorry this is going, I mean, you can interrupt me anytime. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you can ask me some, I mean, there's a lot more, so I don't know what else you want me. I can keep going or, but anyway, no, keep it going, keep it going because I think this is, this narrative is important. And I think it's important not only to hear the facts of what happened, but kind of understanding what your thought process was as these things were developing. Sure. Sure. So yeah. Um, I was pretty down when I had to stop running, get the MRI. I've actually had similar knee injuries to this back in 2009, 2010, and 2012. Um, So I had a really bad feeling in my gut that this was going to be a a big deal. Um, But I felt really optimistic because I got the MRI so fast and like I got in. So did those shots, took the downtime. Um, It made my day-to-day life a lot more comfortable, but I basically couldn't return to like running at all. I went for like a few miles, like limping around after the shots and then it blew up pretty quick again. So it was kind of like, that was not at all what I was told was going to happen. Um, so I think we took a few more downtime and kept seeing people and all the while this is going on too. I'm like seeing people every other day. I mean, like doing manual therapy, doing all these things and everyone feels really good about it. They're like, don't worry, man. Like, um, you know, this will calm down pretty fast. So, um, so I was a bit shocked when the cortisone shot didn't help that much. So 
I think a few more weeks went by of cross training and staying positive and doing what I could do. And it just got to the point where I, we took all this downtime and I went for another jog and I still couldn't do it. I could barely run like two miles. So, so Parker, let me, let me stop you right there. So when you got to that point of like, oh, you've had a lot of downtime, you've had, you've worked with, I'm assuming considering, you know, your own attention to detail and your own prowess in the sport that like you're working with really high level, you know, people here who are, who are looking at, looking at your knee and checking it out and so on and so forth. And they're overly positive. What were the things that they were telling you that were the cause of the inflammation um, and not just like, obviously you, you're like, all right, well, what's, what's happening here? Like, oh, it's inflamed and, and, and there's swelling there. But did they give you any indication of what the cause could have been? Um, it, yeah. So need, need tracking is the big thing. Well, so basically what people think happened is um, just like the Boulder winter was really bad and the surfaces were tough. And like, I was running a lot on like um, a small turf field at times to like, stay um on soft surface trying to help some other problem areas and so it seemed like kind of just like a weird storm but basically what it seems like that happened was just general knee tracking so like maybe like my quad something in my quad got tight and started pulling my my patella a little bit out of alignment and then the, what the mri is showing is all the you know you don't just get fat pad impingement and bursitis for no reason right so it's like um those are just the symptoms but the hope was that I'm a professional runner. I've been very successful for many years with my form and blah, blah, blah. Um, if we can put the fire out with these cortisone shots while you rest a little bit, while you do some knee tracking PT, while you get some ART and physical therapy to loosen up your quads, do all these things, that it will come around very fast. Um, and you need the shot though, because you've kind of like made a fire in there. So you need to like put it out, but that's not going to fix it if you have really poor mechanics. But like I just said, it's like, I have a track record of that. I, I don't have poor mechanics, so it should clear itself up. So that's kind of what people were telling me. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does make sense. All right. So you, so you go for this, this two mile run, which at that point you just must've been at the, at peak frustration and you give Dathan a call. And what, what, what was that conversation like? Yeah. Um, it was really hard and, um, Dathan had been really positive and stuff too. And we you know, but we had to have a really serious talk and it was just kind of like, you know, it's to the point where we have to find a way to run through this or you got to stop, get healthy and it's, it's over, you know, like you can't run the trials. So we had that conversation and we had already tried a lot of things, but it was just like, we've, we had already tried so many things. We run out of time and it's like, we have, you have to, you just have to make the choice like, and it's okay, whatever you want. But if you want to run the trials, we have to find, you're just going to have to find a way, like whatever it's going to take. So, um, we actually got inspired by, um, Without, I don't want to give too much uh, personal information away from um, from this, but Matthew Sensuitz, um going into the 2016 Olympics uh, had a lot of knee problems and nothing was working, nothing was working. The trials, I mean, and oddly enough, what started to work for the guy was um, he couldn't do any easy running. It was really hard. He was getting nowhere, but when he started doing like just workouts, like warming up on like an elliptical or whatever, and then just going into workouts and sprinting and things like that. He was actually doing a lot better and his knee could handle that. So we were like, you know, it's Olympic trials every four years. You're still in a really good spot. Like if you can just get back to running. So let's try everything. So I actually started, um, I would like tape up my knee and then I would bike for a while because that felt pretty good on it. Um, and then I would go like the first day, all I did, I just wanted to see if I could even do anything. Cause I couldn't even run two miles. And not only could I not run two miles, like without pain, I couldn't even do it without, I couldn't even run normal. So I start, I go out the door and I'm like, Oh, it feels pretty good. And I run 30 seconds, like pretty much as hard as I can feels pretty good. Then I walked for like 90 seconds. And then I extended that to like two and a half minutes, like whatever. And this was just day one and it went really well. So we were like, Holy crap. Like maybe this will work. Like it went great. So I probably got like three miles and like all my running was at 
you know, five minute pace or faster. So we're like, okay, I think we can do this. Like, this is weird or whatever, but, um, whatever. So we got, talk we about, got, talk about like an atypical, talk about like an atypical buildup. Like I can't even imagine like, oh my if God. you did like six weeks of that training, like it's one thing for a miler to do it. It's so <laughs> different for, for a marathoner to, to, to use this protocol. We were going to write a book. Like if I, if it worked, we were like, because <laughs> not only eventually I stopped walking in between and I was skipping like full on doing skips and stuff so that I could like keep my heart rate high. Um, and it was working. So we were working backwards. So then we started extending it. So like, man, I was even doing like pretty significant workouts, like, um, four times two K one K like pretty fast. And that makes sense to take like the skip breaks in between that because it's like intervals, but still Matt, the craziest thing was like the hardest part was doing any sort of real warm up and cool down running wise like running above six minute pace was like really hard for me to do. Um, but workouts were going well. So fast forward a little bit later and it, now we're like, okay, well we've got to get in a long run now. So same thing, things are going well. Like I, I mean, I'm still in pain and it, and like every day I'm living day to day, like every day is like, Oh my God, is this going to be the day that it blows up? Like what's going to happen? And like all this stuff. Um, and it takes like a really special circumstance for me to be able to run. Like I got to go sit in a hot tub. I got to do this exercise. I got to like make sure I've done been on the bike and then I'm running pretty quickly like as I get off the bike, like all this stuff. So we do a 20 mile run and I run like 540 something pace, but same thing. I did like five miles and try to do it with the, as little amount of like stopping as I can. And I'm like running 615 pace. Um, and this is after a lot of like hard workouts so that to get to this point, like of feeling confident that we can do this. And then I run like 10 miles in there at like 520 pace and then a little break and then five miles again, you know, at six something minute pace. Um, and then I got 20. So that was like a huge step. But, um, unfortunately, uh, you know, I was trying to run through this knee thing so much and I just never like. I still could never get my stride quite back. Like when I would finish those workouts and stuff, my whole left side would be so much more blown up than like my right. But, you know, I just kept, I was just happy that I was running and keeping the dream alive. And like, I don't know, I just hoped that the more workouts and the more things I could put together, like the more natural, like my run would start to come and like, it would start to push some of the inflammation out and things like that. But um, unfortunately, uh, it just one day, um, I think it was like a, a day or two after that 20 miler, like my left foot was just like totally blown up, um, on my other side. And so I took a little downtime and I tried to like do some stuff on that, but, um, yeah, I just like, and I got another MRI on that. And then it just like, wasn't really, um, possible for me to like run really anymore. Um, so was that like, was that like the, the classic domino effect of running through injuries of like, all right, you know, you're running through it and then like, it just sets up like the other part of your body starts overcompensating and then just around and around we go. Yeah. I've never, um, I've never had a bony injury like in my entire life of running. And so, yes, exactly. Um, I was, I've never had a bony injury in my entire life. And then as soon as like, I can't as soon as I had to start compensating and trying to find a way to like run when I shouldn't have been, um, there you go. So yeah, it just like, yeah, it, it, it didn't. And I, it didn't even really, I could only really train for so long. It, it happened pretty fast. Um, but, uh, so yeah. And then that's, that's basically it. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean the story and it's not, I mean, yeah. So I don't know. I'll let you ask whatever you want to ask now, but that's basically why I'm not running the trials. So yeah, I mean, I think it's it's pretty self-explanatory at this point that you know you're basically you know trying to hold it all together with like wire and duct tape, and you know for a marathon, like it's like good luck, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like to say nothing of like running the best marathon of your life on maybe the hardest course you've ever run a marathon on, you know, making all of this come together. Obviously, like for anyone who's going to make the team, everything has to work. Even for, you know, the person who's like, you know, maybe say the leader in the clubhouse, even that man, woman have to run a almost perfect race to get it done. And obviously this was not necessarily going to be in your wheelhouse. So let's just talk about the other side of this. You talked a lot about the physical side, mentally and emotionally, 
how hard was this for you? Not only because, hey, you've invested so much time and effort into this goal, but just from a professional athlete perspective, what it's like to deal with an injury like this, but not necessarily being able to kind of put it out there in the in the public forum and you know especially for someone like you who who enjoys living your life that way and not being able to necessarily do that yeah um it's been really hard like i said i feel like um i've just felt like very alone and like i felt like um yeah like a lot of people are really excited to see me run and um you know i i know yeah, I mean, I know this isn't the case, but it's just how I feel. So, like, that's all I can say. And it's just, like, you know, I just feel like I'm letting a lot of people down. Um, and I just, like, yeah, I just, yeah. I mean, I know I did everything I could, but um, I don't know. Just, I, just like, even from a young age, like, just trying to be a high-level athlete and going to the University of Oregon and this and that, it's, like, I know I tried, but... I'm like a really results driven person and like, you know, I like, I not able to get it done. So like, that's kind of like what I'm sitting on and like, that's just really hard. And, um, yeah. And honestly, man, the, the hardest part right now is like, um, it's really hard to miss the trials, but, um, I still like, I, I'm still not better. Uh, like my knee still isn't better. And, uh, it's just like, it's not, I don't think it's one of those things that's just going to get better by like sitting around and hoping it get. it's not like, it's not like a stress fracture, you know, like that sucks and it takes a lot of time, but you just, there's nothing you can do for it. You move on and like, it gets better a lot on its own for most of them. But, um, you know, I've given my knee some significant amount of rest and it, it's not really responding very well. So, um, that's that mentally right now, the hardest part for me is, um, I don't even have, uh, I, I can't even work towards a new goal right now. And, um, I also got selected for the world half team in Poland and accepted, um, that, and I'll probably have to be dropping out of that too. So yeah, there's just, there's like no silver lining for me, um, right now, unfortunately. So now I know this is a little bit of inside baseball, but what is that, you know, when you're going through this sort of thing, obviously you're, you're a sponsored athlete because you're a professional runner and you have their, their support. And that's for you, a significant driver of your income, not just like race results. So what's that conversation like with your sponsors, you know, when you have these things going on and, you know, obviously there, there's an open relationship there, but you know, it's also kind of a scary, a scary thing, I would assume. Yeah. Um, you know, I did just say that there was no silver lining, but honestly, that's probably the only thing. Um, like it's been amazing. You know, I don't, I don't know everyone else's relationship with their sponsors. So, you know, I'm just speaking for myself, but, um, I feel so lucky to be with Saucony and Gatorade Endurance and Koros. Um, like the, the, the silver lining, the, the, the only positive thing that's come out of this for me is, having those really tough conversations and calling my bosses and hearing all the nice things that they had to say about me and how this doesn't change how they feel about me and how um, sorry they are and how much they believe in me. Just, I, I can't even believe some of the stuff they said. And so um, I guess the only positive thing like is if I hadn't gotten hurt and had this this situation come up, I never would have got to like see how these people really cared about me. Like when, you know, I'm not on top of the world and things aren't going well. And, um, you know, I may have never gotten to have those really, um, special conversations. Uh, but yeah, no, I was, I was nervous as hell to talk to everyone. Um, the one thing I did really well was I called them very early. Um, and I let them know, you know, but I just said, Hey, um, I'm just really struggling right now. And, like I'm still trying to make the line and I'm doing everything I can. Um, but it's, it's so day to day. I, I don't know. I, I, I just don't know what's going to happen. Uh, so I talked to them early about those sort of things. And I do think that made the conversation a lot easier and a lot more positive than me just calling up, you know, one day and saying, Hey, I'm really hurt. Like, and it's it, that's it, you know? So 
now, you know, eventually, um, that is what happened, but it started with conversations of like, Hey, I just want you guys to know, like, I'm been really struggling with this and I don't, I've already done a lot of things to fix it. It's not working. Uh, and yeah, as yeah. So, but yeah, that was super hard, um, conversation and those people. Yeah. They're all really special companies and really special people in charge, um, for them to, to treat me the way I did, you know, um, they didn't, they didn't have to say all those nice things and, and whatever. Cause I kind of, you know, it's a big deal to, to not be running. I feel like so. Yeah. Because again, like they, they, um, you know, have a lot invested in you. And I know you know that because they're, they're partners with you and they have their own marketing plan set up around the trials and so on and so forth. And, you know, shoot, I'm, I see that firsthand just with this podcast on a much smaller scale. Like Koros has sponsored this podcast for February, you know, cause they're like building up to the trials and like they, they've been great with me. So I know exactly like on a much smaller scale, like what it means to be like part of a, a marketing campaign and being a, a function of that. And with that said, it, it, it is nice to hear that things have gone well on that front. Now, besides Dathan, who are some of the people that you leaned on just from a um, just ability to, to speak openly and get feedback and express frustration and maybe even, you know, um, have people you know, help you out with kind of the mental and emotional and sports performance side of this as you progress through January into February? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think if anyone, but yeah, I mean, Dathan a lot, it's been, it's been, uh, it's been ridiculous. Like how much I've, we've had to talk and how much I've been putting. Could he even relate? I mean, has he, has he even been injured before? Like, could he even relate to what being an injured (laughs) athlete felt like? Yeah. Just the, just a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's been amazing. And, um, (laughs) yeah, he's been really good. And like, I mean, while I've been trying to get this knee thing better, I went and stayed with him for two weeks and saw all of his people and stuff. And right now I'm out at the university of Oregon. So, I mean, everyone's been willing to help. Um, so, but yeah, to answer your question, um, probably just my wife, Ashley a lot. Um, just because she sees like, and she was at, she came to a lot of my appointments too. when it first happened. So she saw everything too. Like she saw all these people, and I'm not, it's not blaming anyone. Like, I'm glad that they're positive, but she saw all these people like telling me like that this was going to be okay. And like telling me that it's not a big deal and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, she was there and then like, and, and has seen that it, it is a big deal. Um, and so I think, I think she would have empathy for me no matter what, but I think she probably even feels a lot of the same emotions as I do because it's just very confusing. Um, and like I said, I mean, getting a really big injury is really hard, but it's like a lot harder when you have to keep staying engaged and like keep trying things and keep seeing people and keep being positive and keep trying to figure it out. It's a lot easier when you get a diagnosis and you let your body do what it needs to do and stuff. And I just feel like with the trials and then even now, like the fact that it's not getting better, like I just, it's been really, um, it's been really hard. Like I said, to go through this journey alone. So I'm really excited for people to know, even though like, I think people will be pretty frustrated, but yeah, basically who I've, who I've leaned on a lot is Dathan a ton, my wife a lot. And then, um, honestly, like, having Saucony and Gatorade, they, their conversations with them were so powerful and Koros, they were so powerful that even though I wasn't communicating with those people, like super regularly about what was going on, just remembering the conversations and the important things that they said to me, um, it is just kept me like as positive as, as I've been able to be f- for so long. So all right, so we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get back into it and talk about the uh, the race and do a little a little preview of the Men's Olympic Trials Marathon. Sweet. I'm excited. In 2014, Chorus was founded with the desire to make products that are more accurate, reliable, durable, and easier to use than anything on their market, and their GPS watches do just that. Coros features the longest battery life on the market with 25 hours in full GPS mode 
and on the entry-level pace, an astonishing 60 hours on its top-level Vertex. That's 60 hours. My goodness, I can tell you, my GPS watch, I have one on right now from Coros. This thing lasts forever. I've had it on for a week, and I haven't charged it yet. It's absolutely phenomenal. They have developed a great reputation of working with top-level athletes in the sports world, trail runners, road runners, climbers, etc. You may have seen even... Shoot, Parker Stinson, who's on my Road to the Olympic Trials podcast, is also a member as well. These athletes trust Coros for their training, and they work with them closely to make better products as well. Also, the all-new track mode is the first of its kind for technology and GPS watches, which actually measures your runs correctly while running around a 400-meter track, and you know how much of a pain in the butt that can be if we've you know we've all done track workouts with gps watches and they don't go very well so koros kudos to you go to koros.com that's c-o-r-o-s.com c-o-r-o-s.com to learn more most of us are tracking our running with some sort of online app and what i have found is the best way to do that is using the v.02 system i love the v. app not only as an athlete but also as a coach i use it all the time with my athletes and as a runner i love its versatility and my way or my ability to communicate with my coach as well this this app really takes the cake i absolutely love it in addition all coaches can take advantage of a 30 day free trial offer by going to v.02 So if you're an athlete currently working with a coach who's not on the VDOT system, let them know about the free trial because it's going to work out for both of you. Also, if you want to try out the platform yourself, you can use code RAMBLING to save 15% on custom training plans to get to your next goal. All right, we're back. So part two of this conversation is going to be a preview of the men's race at the Olympic trials. So at this point, since you're not going to be running, which obviously we would much rather you be running, but I can't think of a better person to analyze the race than someone who has run against literally every single person in the field and has done so fairly recently in most of these cases. So with that being said, um, let's dive right in. So first things first, when you think about this race specifically and this course, what do you think this course will do to the people in the race and how they have to plan strategically for the race that they want to run? Well, I think, you know, I know the course is really hard, um, obviously all the hills and this and that, but my biggest worry, um, honestly, when I was going into it was the weather because it was like a noon start. And it's starting to look like the weather will be pretty good. So um, I'm not as worried about that now. Because, um, you know, just like if it was like a seven, 60, 70 degree day and it's at noon, you know, that's 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 tough. Um, but then as the course is concerned, you know, I still just kind of old school in the sense that like I think the people who are the most fit, you know, barring that they don't um, do anything too, too crazy. I think the people who are the most fit and – um, have run and the, and have run the most consistent, uh, in the last few years, it's a different course, a different situation, but your fitness and your consistency is just going to carry over and you're going to deal with the challenges of the course, just like you would deal with anything else. So, um, yeah, I think just the best people, the best people on that day are going to win. I don't think there's any, um, or make the team. I don't think there's any, like, if you were just doing secret, like training just for this course, I don't know if that's going to make a huge difference in my mind. Now, does a course like this, because it is challenging, um, like you said, obviously your, your, your perception of this is basically the fittest people are going to win. You know, the course isn't so extreme that that would stop that from being the case. With that said, do you think that it maybe would favor people if they're in similar fitness to people who maybe who have more marathon experience just from like you know, as Jared Ward likes to talk about, just like lifetime fitness type thing? Or do you think that that could get potentially overblown in, in regards to just the race course itself? Yeah, no, I totally agree with the point of running more marathons because it, it's more like, I think, um, you're going to know what you can handle at mile 16, mile 18, mile 20, mile 22. And I guess what I would say is I, I do still think the fittest people are going to win on this course. This is what I would say, though your room for error on this course is so small. So I don't think it's like that it's so crazy hard that someone who doesn't like, I, uh, 
that there's going to be some crazy, like someone who doesn't deserve to go, like only makes it because of, because of this weird course, I guess what it would be more like, it's the room for error thing. So I think someone having running more marathons, you know, they're like, no, no, no. Like this is a hard course. I know how I should be feeling at mile 18 and mile 20 and all this kind of stuff. And they're going to be able to really sit on how they're feeling and trust their instincts to navigate this challenging course where, I mean, even myself, you know, I was on a super easy course at CIM when I debuted and, you know, my instincts and everything just like betrayed me and that's on an easy course. So I think, um, I really think having more marathons under your belt is just, it's not even fitness. It's more just like how you know how to trust those feelings, um, and everything. That's, that's kind of how I would describe it. Now, how big a group do you think there is of people that you wouldn't be surprised if they made the top three? Oh man, I would be surprised. Uh, it's not that big. Uh, I'd be pretty surprised. I'd probably only say like, well, how surprised, I guess. Um, That's a good point. There's like a few people, there's a few people that I'd be like, I'd be like, damn, like that's kind of insane. That guy just became an Olympian, like didn't see that coming. And then I guess there's a few people that I think it's possible but I would literally just shake my head and be like, man, that's just ridiculous. Like, so I don't know which level <laughs> you want me on, but, um, all right, let, let, then let's set up like a different, like a tier system. All right. So like, like the tier one would be like, okay, these guys would be like, all right, I wouldn't bet against them. Okay. Right. Like if I had to put money down yeah. again, we're not, we're not, we're not advocating gambling, but you're like, all right, I wouldn't bet against them making it. And then maybe another group were like, Hey, like these, they might not be a favorite, but like, you know, there's maybe a, you know, a 30% to 20% chance or better that they could make it. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, um, I mean, I'll just come, I'm probably ruining a question down the road, but I think Galen Rupp, uh, Leonard career and Jared Ward are who's going to make the team. Um, the people I wouldn't be surprised I wouldn't bet or I wouldn't bet against them would be, yeah, Scott Fobble. I wouldn't bet against Scott Fobble. I wouldn't bet against, um, you know, I think, I, I think Andrew Bumbleo has a really good shot to make the team. Um, he was right behind me at Chicago, but he had some, like, he had some stuff go on on race day, like during the race that wasn't ideal. And he still ended up being right behind me. Um, you can even see pictures like at mile 22 or 23, he's gone. Like he's in the second group. He totally missed the, the gap and he was done. And all of a sudden later in the race, he caught back up to us and then ran well. So, um, if he's in that same kind of form, but he has things go better for him, like on the day, I think he could actually make the team, which a lot of people aren't talking about him. Um, so him, I think Bernard, like, I wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't bet on him, <laughs> but I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against him. Um, he has, his career is what it is for a reason. He's incredibly talented and incredibly motivated when he wants to be. Um, and you know, if you think he was motivated at New York or at the other one he ran in Australia, you know, he probably was, but it's going to be nowhere near like the motivation he's going to have when he's trying to make another Olympic team because he knows what that takes. So um, I definitely would not bet against him. Yeah. So he ran 212 at Gold Coast in July. And, you know, shoot, 45 years old, man. It, it really is. It really is amazing. All right. So let's, let's talk about some of the people who are kind of outliers um, from the main group, right? You have, you have people who, again, who are people who are, you know, kind of in that traditional group of folks who are preparing for this and running well, you know, like the, the, the Matt Yanos of the world or the, you know, Brendan Gregg or, you know, um, Gerald Mock, you know, you mentioned, you know, Andrew Bumbleau, people like that, you know, but you have some people who are kind of outside the norm in a sense and people who you know, are, are really exciting to talk about. So I think some of those would be like, hey, Bernard Lagat is one, right? Um, you know, Abdi Abdurrahman, Sam Chalenga. Uh, and then Jim Walmsley, right? I think these these are people who are kind of coming at this from a different perspective and maybe don't have the, the typical narrative surrounding their attempt, but are all highly accomplished runners. And I'd love to hear 
considering where you know your point of view, how what your take is. I mean, you just talked about Bernard, but these other folks, what your take is regarding uh, their chances on the 29th. Sure. Um, just pick who who do you want? Yeah, who who do you want to talk about? Let's go with Jim Walmsley first. Okay. Um, yeah, I I'm just gonna be straight on that one. Um, I, I'm sure Jim, I don't know Jim. I'm sure he's a really awesome dude and his training, like stuff that he does is amazing. And, and his ultra running stuff is amazing, but, uh, I'll just come at it from a way harder side than anyone else is coming at it. Uh, I don't think there's any way he makes the team at all. Um, I don't think, I don't think he's in two. I saw something that he thinks he's in two ten shape. I don't think he's in two ten shape. I don't think, I don't think this course helps him really. Like, I, I mean, I guess it helps him more than a really fast flat course, but, um, anyone who's in this sport, anyone who's showing up to Atlanta healthy and ready to go is going to be able to run Hills well enough, close enough to someone like him that, yeah, I just don't think, um, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, I just, it's just, uh, I don't think it's a very realistic thing. I think it's a super cool story. Um, and you know what, I mean, I'll be the first person to send him a text or I'll write him a handwritten letter. You know, if he makes the team, I'll be like, my, I can't believe it. Um, but I just don't, uh, I mean, what, what did he run in his buildup half? Like 63 something minutes or something like at, in Arizona or whatever it was. Yeah. I think it might've been 62, 62 ish, you know, um, well, it was the 62, but it was fake or whatever. So it was like the short course, you know, oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. remember they had to add like a minute to the time. So yeah, I don't know. I just, it, it, I just think it's like, you know, when you see like, look at even Kipchoge who runs too flat, everyone's like, well, Jim Walmsley is so strong. And I'm like, yeah, but, but even Kipchoge, who's the best marathoner in the world, probably ever that guy ran like three forty something in the mile in 12, four, he won the 5k when you, you know what I mean? Like you've got to have that that speed and that, that it's not even speed. I don't even know, but like, you have to have those high end performances on the track. I think, um, to, it doesn't mean that Jim can't run a really good marathon. I just don't, I don't think he's in two ten shape. And I think that's what it's going to take to, to make the team. All right. Let's talk about Abdi. Uh, he was actually, uh, I've, I've been on two different podcasts. I've had two different top threes. So I'm, I'm like, I'm like spreading my guesses around. Maybe one of them will be right. So, and in one of them, I, I picked Abdi and another one, I picked Sam Chalenga. Um, I love to hear your, you know, so let's, let's go with Abdi first. Abdi. Yeah. I would have said probably not, but then he looked really good at New York. Um, and same thing, you know, he just reminds me of Bernard. It's like, you got to think about how accomplished Abdi is. And it's like, so it's not fair to judge that guy, you know, what he's doing in off years and what he's doing at these other times, because that guy has been at the highest level. So, you know, he needs a big spotlight. He needs like it to be at the Olympics or to make the Olympics for him to really pour his heart into it, I think. Um, and so, it, you know, when you look at his last few years, you kind of be like, well, no, he's probably not going to. But the thing is, I just think, once again, the guy's made five teams already, right? Has he already made five or is he four? I think he's made five. Something so those lines, yeah. Yeah. You know, the, it's just like that. Not only does the guy know how to make the team, but it's more like to me, a motivation. Like it's hard to be motivated about killing yourself at X race or this race or that race when you've already made five Olympic teams. So I think, I think he, I, he could have a shot because, you know, I think he is getting up there and he may be, I think a lot of the reason he's been getting out of bed the last few days or not last few days, the last few years and what motivates him is like this thought of making one more Olympic team. So in a sense, he could be just as motivated as someone trying to make their first Olympic team because he probably knows that this is, you know, one of the last few things that's really going to excite him in his career. So I, I, I've never bet against somebody that, that has made teams and stuff like that before. I mean, they, I've never even come close to something like that. So you got to give respect and, um, you know, they're going to try to find a way for sure. Yeah. Cause he ended up, he ran two eleven thirty four in New York this year, which is a heck of a time on that course. And obviously pay notice to the fact that he was, you know, besides the top three that you mentioned was right there with everybody else in the field. I agree. Yeah. That was a really, really good result. So it's just a matter of, 
you know, just like similar to me, it's kind of like, well, you know, you just, how did he come off of it? How's he doing now? But for sure, that result, that result was, um, really, really, uh, encouraging. And then the last one, and this is just because I'm, I'm close with, with James McCurdy. He's my coach and he's been coaching Sam Chalenga. So I, I just, I know James well. Sam has run exceedingly well at shorter distances, has not put it together for the marathon, but I know what he's doing out there with Matt Yano and he's, training really, really well. But I think it comes down to that whole idea of how many marathons, especially high-level marathons, do you have under your belt, especially when it comes to a race like this? Yeah, Sam Chalinga is a fun one to talk about, though, because um, it it's his... It's, it's the reason why he's the reason it's like the opposite of why I'm saying Wamsley won't make it, you know, like Wamsley is doing all this amazing training. He's done all this stuff. But to me, he doesn't have the track record of just like high, high performance, like races on the road, um, below marathon. He just doesn't have it. And Sam, so the exact reason why I think Sam Chalenga is fun and actually could make the team is his, his ability and talent level is probably even top two. He's probably the same as Galen or behind Galen. When you really look at like his raw ability, um, and you know, uh, his marathons were horrible. They were horrible. Even he ran like 60, 50 in the half marathon. And then he would go and run like 220 or something. But it's like that classic thing. I think he's so good and so talented that and he wanted to run a marathon so well. He just was so overtrained every time. And then he would just run that bad. Because how else do you explain a, a guy that's run like 27 flat and 60 in the half running 222? So um, the fact that he you know, quit the sport for a while and is back training and gotten a few races under his belt. Uh, I think it's possible. I, cause I don't think he's going to be overtrained and, um, you know, it would be nice for have him to have some positive marathon experiences, but at the same time, I mean, this is a guy who didn't even really train that much. And he came over to the United States and ran some of the fastest times ever at Terre Haute. And, um, yeah, so <laughs> you just, you can't ever bet against, the big talent like that, like, even though it hasn't, it's like, it's like, it's like Bekele coming back. It's like everyone wrote him off and his, his, he's done. He can't run the marathon. He kept dropping out. He kept getting hurt, blah, blah, blah. And then boom, he almost breaks the, the world record. And, you know, people barely even, you know, they didn't even think he would win. So it, th- that's how I feel about Sam Chilenga. I have no idea. It's up to him. Um, but I for sure think it's possible. He's a huge, huge talent. All right. Two more questions. What do you think is going to be the winning time? Oh, man. Uh, okay. Weather looks good. Um, yeah, we got like, I, I, looked, I looked today. It looks to be, you know, 44 to 46 degrees and partly sunny, which is pretty much ideal for most people who are going to run a marathon. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'll lag. I think it'll lag a little bit, but probably not for as long as people. I don't think it's going to lag for as long as people think. Um, I know what my heart's telling me, but I want to think about. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what might like be smart. Um, hey, tell, give give us both answers. What's the heart answer and what's the head answer? I don't know. I just think the like. I think I could see them like dipping right under two twelve, just because like. That just, I just have a hard time. Like, those, so many good guys have a hard time, like, them just not eventually ripping on that thing. But, you know, I ran the road to gold, and my immediate thought was after I ran that, I was like, dude, you know what? I think if you can run 213 on this course, you can make the team. Um, but now that's making the team, not winning. So, um, I think, so right under 211, my heart, but I think realistically, I think they're going to be somewhere. Somewhere above 212.30. I think they'll be right above 212.30 is what wins. That's what I think. Okay, last one. Again, you already gave your top three, so I'm not telling you to like insert someone into that group, but who is a dark horse candidate for you? Not necessarily someone who's going to qualify for the Olympics, but somebody who's maybe a little off the radar who's going to play a major part in the race, either because you know they're pushing early miles, they lead out an early break, or they last a lot longer than people might anticipate. Oh dang, that's tough. Um, okay, I'll just be a sucker for I'll be a sucker for news, um, even though a lot of it's fake news. Uh, Brogan Austin is a really really good dude, really hard worker. Um, 
he won the road to gold against Jared and I, and like, I, I don't know where he was at with his season and whatever, but like we tried to beat him and like, we couldn't like, he just pulled away from us. So that sticks out to my mind. And then, um, I saw this ridiculous quote and once again, you know, I'll write him a letter, you know, if it's true, but he, he was recently quoted as saying he's in 207 shape. And I was like, uh, okay. Uh, but anyways, if he even like, if that's even remotely true, then he's doing really well. Um, and so, and he loves that course. So yeah, man, I, I, I think, I think it could just be somebody, like you said, like mile 24 comes around and there's only five people left and they're like, and Brogan Austin is still there and looking good. So, you know, I don't know if that make, makes it like he makes the team, but I think he's going to put in a really good performance. Um, but you know, it's tough. It's really easy to say, uh, you're in 207 shape when you're running on a slow course and a tactical race because you don't have to prove it. You know what I mean? Um, cause if you say you're in 207 shape before Berlin, well then you have to prove it because it's the fastest course with the best pacers. So it's kind of hard to take that information, you know, and when you know, like you can say you're in whatever shape and it, it, you know, a 207, if you're in 207 shape and you run 211 on that course, you could be like, well, it's like a hard course. So I don't know. <laughs> right. And like, there's no pacers and we went out slow and yeah, I, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You have all the excuses in the book to like, be like, well, that's why I didn't hit my time. So it's just hard to take that information. But I think Brogan's a good dude. Um, and so, uh, you know, maybe he's just being a little ambitious, but I, I mean, I'm sure he, I'm sure he's in really good shape then, you know, so I don't think he's like lying or anything. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Cause he ran, what his, his best marathon time leading up to this was two twelve thirty nine, which he ran at CIM in 2018. And that's when he had that huge comeback. Right, I mean, he basically yeah. passes at Matt Yano in like the last mile and ran exceedingly well and, and got the win, which was which was a which was a great race for him. So, Parker, thank you so much for coming on. Obviously, the first half of this conversation was a tough one for you, and understandably so. And I really appreciate your candor in the second half of this conversation. Best of luck to you moving forward, and thank you so much for being a part of this series. It's really been a pleasure getting to know you and hearing all about how this year has progressed for you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Matt. Um, yeah. Thank you for letting me share my story uh, when it's been really good and when it's been been tough. So really appreciate everything you're doing and uh, excited to see, see you guys out there. Thank you so much, Parker, for coming on to this episode. Gee, Louise, I did not want to do this episode. Obviously, you know, hearing about the uh, the injuries stinks. I mean, it just it's the worst. And I feel so bad for him that he's had to go through this. But hopefully he comes back better than ever. Him and Dathan, I'm sure, are working hard to do just that. But it's just obviously frustrating for him not only to pull out from this race, but not even to have a certain timeline moving forward. Thank you to our sponsors. I really appreciate the support of this podcast. Also, just so you know, if you're listening to this and you want to help the show, go check those sponsors out. They're, they're sponsoring this podcast for a reason. The main reason is because I completely trust them and I use them all the time. And you should too. So thank you so much for listening, rating, and reviewing the show. It means so much to me. One more podcast coming out before the Olympic trials, and it is with Kellen Taylor, and then it's game time. So have a great day, and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti, from InPost Media. Also thank you to Metapi for the music and his song, Evolution. Cheap. Pressing is deep. I'm a real person. Real versions.